0: We want to spend the next segment of time together as we prepare our hearts for communion. I want to tell you right up front, this is really just going to be a simple message, a simple approach, but it's purposely, because I want us to spend the whole time as we step into communion and prepare our hearts for communion. As we look at the theme of the Bible and how it should let us walk right into Scripture, um, I'm especially thrilled. With a young couple, you know, anyone younger than I, you know, their young couple that I've been meeting with the last four weeks, and they have um, today put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I said, you need to be here tonight to get this overview to see how it all fits together. Let's open in prayer. God, we thank you for the stories that we just heard. Thank you for these men. Thank you, Lord, for the love that was demonstrated on the trip and the care and just the servanthood. God we think of the great lover, the great hero, the great master, the great servant, Jesus Christ. Lord as our desires we step into the story of the Bible that our hearts would be prepared for the Lord's table that we would look at the theme of the Bible and see the creation of man and the fall of man and then the redemption and the consummation that we put all these stories together and our hearts would be filled with praise as we partake of the Lord's table and the elements. That, God, you would be exalted in Christ's name. Amen. Slay the dragon and marry the damsel. You know, the subject of the damsel in distress in the Bible is really, or I should say, in the world is a major theme in world literature, art, video game, um, film. You see that continually. It's usually a woman or a young damsel, beautiful young woman that's in some dire predicament by a villain that's after her and chasing her and... And she's in serious trouble, and then the hero suddenly comes on the scene, rescues her, and what happens then? Ends up marrying her, right? I think of some of the Disney movies. You think of Disney classic like Snow White, Cinderella, and Aurora, or Sleeping Beauty. Can I say my favorite is Snow White? You might say, why is that your... Well, you know, when I go to Michigan, and, and I sit down with my grandkids, every year we watch Snow White, and... I started years ago yelling when the witch comes because she's scary. And they think I'm really scared in the beginning. And now I have to keep that tradition that I yell when the witch comes. Um, But we know the scene that she eats of the apple. When the witch gives her the apple, she falls into this deep sleep. And the seven dwarves go after um, the wicked witch who turns into a dragon. She gets on the top of it and they... Um, are able to kill her. The dragon falls and dies, but Sleeping Beauty, or I should say Snow White, is in this coma-like sleep position. But they love her so much, and because she's so beautiful, they say they put her in this glass casket. They can't bury her. And then suddenly, as the story progresses, one day the prince comes and is singing, and he sweeps in his love first kiss and wakes up, and they live happily ever after. You know, really, that's a theme that we see in the Bible. The theme in the Bible, that God invites us into a relationship with him. It was called creation. He made this perfect world and he invited man into this relationship with him. But in this perfect world, the serpent and the dragon, as Revelation 12 describes Satan, slithers into the story and seduces God's creation to commit spiritual apostasy, um, adultery. And they fall in love with their own goals and you have thus the fall. Now the stories of the Bible is really how will God restore man into this relationship back with him as Adam and Eve Adam and Eve had in the beginning. So we then see the stories of the Bible march forward one after another and it's one theme God is after getting rid of the poison, getting rid of the curse, paying for the the price of the curse, and restoring man back into a condition that he once had. Paradise lost will one day become paradise that's regained. So he sends his prophets telling continually that the Messiah is one day coming. And you have God pursuing his adulterous spouse throughout the Old Testament till one day he sends his son to slay the dragon. And we call that at redemption. And then we see the the bride of the church is now given a message. And we're to go forward and we're to share the, the victorious message of the gospel news with others. That they could be set free. That they could be victors. And then one day there will be the wedding. And we call that the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation. Where there will be the consummation. That we will be forever physically with God. Of course we believe that happens also for us at death. So I want to see the major theme of the Bible. Let me back up when we were already there. Major theme of the Bible is that God's redemptive plan to save mankind. Creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. If somebody was ever asking you, well, what's the Bible all about? What's the storyline of the Bible? These are the four words that you pick up. Creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. I want to briefly talk through these points and I'm going to have a lot of Bible verses on online, um, on the screen because I want us to get an overview of the message of the Bible as we prepare our hearts for communion. So we have creation. Colossians 1.16 says at the end, all things were created through him and for him. God created everything for, for himself. Christ created it all. So man wasn't made. For himself, man wasn't made for his own purposes to pursue, but it says for him. The goal of creation is not man, but it's God's glory. It's to give God praise, to give God thanks. Everything exists to display his glory, not man's glory. So creation finds in itself its goal, its finality in Christ, not in man. So it becomes Christocentric, Christocentric, not man-centered. So the whole message of the Bible is really Christ-centered. Then with the fall coming in, man falls and we have a, a major problem. Man fell and we, we see it in thirteen saying in Colossians and in verse 21, it says, talks in Colossians, domain of darkness. So now man has fallen in this domain of darkness. Verse 21 talks about being alienated from God. So now because of the fall, we have a problem. We need to be saved and rescued from our situation, we're alienated, we're separated from God. The New Testament describing this condition has a lot of descriptions about it. It talks about us not only as alienated and separated, but lost in our sins, we're aliens, we're strangers, without hope, without abilities, sinners, enemies of God, children of Satan, led captive by Satan, blind spiritually. All of these descriptions That are talking about this this problem that we have. It's the fall. We fell. So now as we look throughout the scriptures. We see that in Genesis we have the fall. What's God going to do? There's a problem here. Man is separated. But how will he restore man back in that relationship? And you have the stunning first prophecy that's given immediately. Genesis 3.15. Speaking to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman. But he gives this incredible prophecy that one day one will come that will crush. We have the word bruise, but it means to crush. Crush your head, Satan. And yet he would crush the servant, the Messiah's heel, crucifixion. So we have the scriptures immediately unfolding. So we see that really this prophecy didn't catch God by surprise because Peter says this was foreknown before the foundation of the world. So this coming of the Messiah, yes, God created man, knowing man would fall, but he had a plan. I'm going to send one to rescue man. I'm going to send one to shed his blood, to pay for the sin of mankind, but he wouldn't stay dead. He's a resurrected Savior. The Bible's filled with that that theme, that message. So Jesus Christ is the primary message of the, of the Hebrew Scriptures of the Old Testament. All of the history of the Old Testament points forward to Christ everything. You cut the Bible in any place in the Old Testament, it's going to bleed Christ because it's always pointing towards Christ. So I want to look at just a couple major stories as we quickly walk through. But again, remember, preparing our hearts as we partake of the elements and we thank Christ for His shed blood we thank Christ for his body that was given for us because the whole story of the Bible was to rescue you and to rescue me. We have a problem. Sin causes us to be separated from God. What was God to do? He had a plan in place. So we immediately see as we step into the patriarch theme, we see the man um, Abraham is chosen. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God says to Abraham, I will bless you, and through you, all families of the earth should be blessed. So here, this is an incredible promise. It represents everyone from Sarah Erickson and this side, sweeping right over here to Tim, to Jason, all of us. God has us in view here. He says, I'm going to send somebody through you, Abraham. So now he's chosen a family, and I'm going to send one through you that all nations of the earth will be blessed. And we follow this story. We see in Genesis 15, Abraham's called a man of great faith. But there's a really cool change in chapter 22, verse 18. 22, verse 8, Isaac says, hey, dad, where's the lamb? And he says, God will provide himself a lamb. But then he moved forward. Look at the change in the, in the pronouns here. And your offspring, so he's speaking to Abraham, no longer saying, And you, all nations will be blessed. There's a change. In your offspring, all nations will be blessed. You see what's happening? Christ is starting, God's starting to make a little bit clearer. So through you, yes, Abraham, but it's your seed that's coming. The seed that's gonna crush the head of serpent. One day he's coming. So we see this this promise. We see some really great promises. Abraham's offspring will bring the blessing. And it's going to be through faith. But it also will include all of us. Gentiles as well as the Jewish people. The storyline quickly moves forward. We get into the next great individual, Moses. And we see Moses as he led the children of Israel out of Egypt. And now here they are. In the wilderness, the people are complaining and whining. Whereas the food, what we had back in the in the old days in Egypt, we really liked. So God sends snakes to bite them, snakes to punish them, and Moses, instructed by God, puts up this this bronze serpent, and it says, "Whoever looks was healed." What is that a picture of? What's happening? Remember John 3, when Christ said in verses 14 and 15, he gives this promise, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You see the story of the Bible continually talking about Christ is going to be lifted up, and it's going to be payment for our sins, and his resurrection will happen. So Christ tithes in that story. He's talking of the Son of Man that would be lifted up. And So we continue to see the great theme of the Bible, Christ is coming. The hero is coming. The hero will one day crush the serpent's head. He's coming. So we continue to march through the Old Testament. And you see a next major theme, the monarchy. I didn't want to keep taking so many verses, but it's 2 Samuel 7 that he gives a promise to David. David, one day your seed, and they will reign eternally. They will be on the throne, and through you will one come that will be the the ruler forever. Well, then Luke picks up that theme, and he says right here in chapter 1 that he's speaking of Christ, that one day the Lord God will give to him, the Son of the Most High, the throne of his father David, and he will reign forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. So it's starting to unfold as the scripture truth continues and the story moves forward. So you have David, the monarchy. Then you have the next major theme, divisions. There's so much here with Solomon afterwards and Rehoboam and Jeroboam get two different kingdoms. Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. But many prophets come during this time. Keep giving the message. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Isaiah is wonderful. Uh, Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 the virgin will conceive and bear a son, Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? That's right, God with us. This child coming would be God with us, and that was given 700 years before time. By the way, some may say, well, that was written after Jesus. 1948, the stones thrown in that cave in Qumran proves that not to be the case because the whole school of Isaiah was found along with many other fragments of the Old Testament. And Isaiah 53 and every other chapter in Isaiah is there preceding the Messiah by 200 years. So we see this truth of the Messiah coming. And what would he do? It says here in in chapter 53, by the way, chapter 9. Let me just get there for 9. One day he's coming, the people that sit in darkness, Naphtali and Zebulun. Where is that? Where is that darkness? You were there in that darkness, Mike. Movita, Savitha, You were there. In fact, you you sang in that area on the Sea of Galilee. It was Galilee, the nations, the pagan nations that are the people that sit in darkness. He's going to come to that area, and that became his headquarters. So this it just packed that that one day he's coming. The Messiah is going to come and set us free. Then we get into this incredible fifty third chapter. Say, his wounds, we are healed. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. But the Lord will lay on him the iniquity of us all. And by the way, in that chapter also talks about his resurrection. Because he'll see of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. So he's going to be living after he's been so brutally killed. The prophets continue on could give this message of one day in fact Micah speaking still before they were taken into exile says he'll be born one day in Bethlehem and this one that's coming in Bethlehem how can somebody be that's born in Bethlehem be from from old from ancient days that's another way of saying from everlasting I don't want to have too much of a segment I've a Lawrence and I have a meeting at 3 o'clock on Thursday. You need to be praying for that with two Mormon missionaries. Um, They, along with every other cult outside of Christianity, don't see a Jesus Christ that is eternal. And yet the Hebrew scriptures shout for his eternity. This concept of triunity, three persons, but there's one God the Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That one is an essence um, of oneness. There's a plurality in that oneness, which is a whole other subject. And then you have the exile and the return, and the prophets continue to say, one day Israel will be brought back. Zechariah 12, given this incredible prophecy that one day they will look on him who they have pierced. Then Malachi in the incredible third and fourth chapters said one day the messenger will come and announce his coming, and then it also says one day that he will suddenly appear in the temple. But you know what happened after Malachi? Ready? Nothing. For ten years, for a hundred years, two hundred years, three hundred years. 400 years, absolute silence. There was no messenger to rise up and says, thus saith the Lord. People were wondering, is he coming? Where is our Messiah? Times are awful. Did God forget his promise? Then suddenly, in the darkness of night, the 400 years of silence were interrupted by God speaking through the cry of a baby. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. In my kids' mind, I imagine the angels, what has happened? And the demons, gasping, he's come. The battle line is drawn He has come. And you see the battle immediately with Herod wanting to kill Jesus. So we march forward and we see this incredible news and message of the scriptures. And we see this in Galatians 4 in the fullness of time, in God's perfect time, the Messiah would come, born of the seed of the woman, really to rescue us, to come and to redeem us, to set us free. Colossians 1.13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So Christ came. Christ came to pay for my sin. Christ came to pay for all of our sin because we had no way to have a relationship with God. And the only way was through the perfect blood of Christ. You see, my sin had to be covered by someone that was perfect and there was only one person that that qualified in all of the world. We can't get there By good works, we can't get there by being a good person. We can't get there by trying to please God because we fall short. So I needed a savior. And that's what the whole Old Testament talks about, a savior that would come and shed his blood for us. And we look at these words, delivered us from the domain of darkness. We were were enveloped in this darkness. We were separate from God. We had no way to be set free. We could feel the darkness, our coldness, our misery. And yet how to be set free Then that blessed moment, that blessed day, suddenly the blindness is ripped apart and we get it. I need Christ as my Savior. It's not by what I can do. It's by what he has done. The forgiveness of our sins. Redemption. Our hero came to slay the dragon. Our hero, our savior came to set us free. And through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or heaven, making peace, you ready? By the blood of the cross. There are some people that don't like to hear about blood. Some religions oppose. There's no way that God put on human flesh and, and, and took on humanity and died. Just can't, That wouldn't happen but he rose again. Christ the God-man putting on human flesh so that he could pay for our price. And then one last verse in Revelation 12, verse 9, the consummation. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Satan's defeated. We think of 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, we are now victors. We're no longer on the enemy's side. And there's coming a future day. And this is speaking of the tribulation period when Christ will come and he will slay the demon, slay the dragon, and crush him. And then Revelation 19: the marriage supper of the lamb that we enjoy in heaven as we are wed with Christ for all of eternity. So I say to you, what should our hearts be shouting as we come to the Lord's table? What should be our response when we come and we remember? God, may my heart be focused on you and not take these elements so lightly. May I never get over the fact that Jesus Paid it mostly. (laughs) Is that the way it goes? Jesus paid 99%. Ismael, 99.9, did Jesus pay it? He paid it all. Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. God, we love you. We thank you for Christ our Savior. God, we needed a Savior to pay it all. We needed one to Pay the complete price because we could not. Oh God, my our hearts are filled with joy as we shout to you because the Messiah, the one that was foretold would come, that would crush the head of Satan. God, he came. He paid the price for our sin. We have been reconciled. We've been delivered from the domain of darkness. Praise be to your name.